what that sound means. Welcome back. Hope you guys had a happy holidays. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Turkey Day. Uh, happy regular day, however you celebrate it. Uh, we don't do the norm because, you know, fuck that genocide. But <laughs> welcome back to episode four of the Creative Ass Adults podcast. Hope you, uh, hope you all had a fun time with family over Turkey Day. Uh, I did. Went to Houston. Hung out with some family. Um, ate some gumbo. Ate some fucking dressing. Um, kicked it with some brown people. Smoked some weed. Yeah, it was, it was a good It was a good time. Um, uh, it was quick. Got to Houston. Hung out with my cousin. Wish I got to see more of my cousins, but I'm going to try to make that happen over uh, over the Christmas break. Even though I think I actually had more time off for Thanksgiving. But, uh, but it was cool. School was necessary. Uh, my cousin begged me really, really hard to uh, come back to uh, to Houston. So went out there, hung out with her. Um, it did us both good, I think, to see us uh, keep that line of the family bond going. So it was beautiful. I hope you guys had a, an equally amazing uh, turkey day. Um, but shit, let's, let's, let's fuck this chicken, right? Uh, so, um, yeah, let's get right into it. Uh, last thing I listened to, last thing I watched, and last thing I read. And we will uh, start out the last thing I listened to. Uh, last thing I listened to was the, that Tory Lanez, that Chicks Tape. Or at least it was the last thing I listened to at the time when I made the list for the podcast. Um, I've actually listened to quite a bit since then. But um, I do want to touch on the, uh, the Tory Lanez uh, tape. One, because it was super, super long-awaited. If you are a, uh, <coughs> excuse me, pardon me, if you are a, a Tory Lanez fan the way I am, you've probably been waiting on Chick's Tape for a really, really long time. Um, I'm a huge fan of Tory Lanez, I always have been. Uh, I remember when he first came out, I was always arguing with people uh, about him versus Drake, because like, both these guys can sing, both these guys can rap, um, and in my personal opinion, Tory Lanez sings a little better, and uh, now, having it aged a little bit, uh, Drake definitely raps better at the time. I think I was arguing that Tory rapped a little better. Um, but now, uh, having stood the test of time, Drake definitely raps better. But I've been a Tory Lanez fan for a very long time, probably around 2010, 2011. Um, I remember back when uh, uh, Beebs did the Beamer Benz and Billy Freestyle and everybody realized that Tory wrote it for him. And it was like this whole scandal on the early budding days of, uh, of world star hip-hop. But uh, but needless to say, I'm on a tangent. Um, I, I I fuck with Tory Lanez and have been for a while. Um, Chick Tape One and Chick Tape Three are my shit. Two is fire too. Two two and four are fire too, and three is dope. But one and two, uh, one or one and three are my shit. Like one, of course, is is in my opinion probably the best. But I like five. Five, he did his thing. It took a really long time to come out, and now we know why. If you know anything about music at all, you know that um, you know all that stuff has to be cleared all those samples that he uses, and now, I believe, I think this is the first Chick's Tape that has uh, the feature of the song he sampled on every single track. So, every song that he sampled, he has that person on the song. So, one, that explains why it took so fucking long for that shit to come out, because the motherfucker had to wait for people who were on tour, people who were releasing their own albums, people who had to wait for lawyers to clear shit. I think I read some crazy statistic where it was like, <clears throat> a double digit amount of lawyers that had to be cleared and paid. There was like a double digit amount of um, samples that had to be cleared. And then like he's sampling songs that had samples in them. 
So if you sample a song, you got to pay the people whose song you sampled. And then if that song within has another sample, you got to pay the people who they sampled. And then you have to pay everybody's lawyers. And then you have to pay your lawyers for doing all the work to figure all that shit out. So it makes sense why it took so fucking long for that shit to come out because you had to wait for all this fucking red tape and legalese to be cleared. And then you turn around and now you have to wait for everybody to come through and actually do their sample or everybody to actually send their sample in. And then do all this, you release it, it does great numbers. Stinker probably didn't make a fucking dime off of it. He's not going to see any money from that project until he tours. Now, that's where most people make their money these days anyway. I mean, in the streaming area, nobody's making money off record sales because nobody's buying physical albums. Like, you're probably paying a monthly subscription and you're streaming that shit. And if you're doing that, they don't receive a whole lot. You've seen the fucking posts or tweets or maybe you haven't, but, I mean, you're getting paid a whole lot by a streaming service if you're getting paid, like, a quarter per stream or something crazy like that. Like the numbers are really, really low these days. If you're making any money in the music industry, it's because of touring and it's because of merchandising and it's because of other deals or ambassadorships or all types of other shit that you leverage from either your social media or from your, um, just like your engagement or like your fans, like being able to create something out of your own followers whether that be Instagram followers or like actual fans, like buying tickets, um, like physical tickets. So very, very interesting. Um, really good project though. If you haven't listened to it, go check it out. That shit's fire. Uh, I think my favorite ones on there are going to be the yes, sir joint, the pretty Ricky sample. That shit's hard. Um, Oh man, there's so many on there. The T-Pain one is fire too. The T-Pain one is super fire. Let me pull this shit up. Cause I like, like I said, I wrote this back when I was actually getting everything together. But at this point, I actually made this list like maybe a week ago. So like, there's a lot more on the list that actually isn't on here. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Okay, so let's see. One, I like the Julius's skits. Those shits are funny. Um, the Jagged Edge joint is fire for sure. Oh, there's so many on here because he sampled a lot of really classic songs. I like the Splash Waterfalls sample with Ludacris. Um, the Take You Down with Chris Brown is the shit. Take You Down was like my favorite song for a very long time. So the Take You Down one definitely uh, puts me there. But yeah, this this whole shit is fire. It's it's interesting to know that he did all that. And he's probably not going to see any real financial gain until he actually gets to take the shit on tour. And then you know that like... I don't know how that works with his record label, but that's just another project he's going to have to drop uh, to satiate them, I'm sure, or at least to put out another project in order to make some money off of it um, without having to go straight to tour. So uh, that's just, yeah, it's really interesting. But I'm I'm hype it's out. If you are a Tory Lanez fan, go check it out. If you are a fan of R&B, go check it out. If you're just a fan of good-ass music, go check it out. I'm a, yeah, like I said, I'm a huge Tory Lanez fan, but the, that Chick's Tape 5 is fire. So that was the last thing I listened to. Um, the last thing I watch, drum roll, you already know what the fuck it is, nigga, the last thing I fucking watched was Queen and Slim, bruh, fuck you mean, I'm making plans as we speak right now to go watch that shit for a second time this weekend, but I saw it the day it came out, I bought my ticket at work, I bought it at Alamo Draft House, I (coughs) got drunk while I was there, had a couple old fashions, not drunk, because we don't, we don't, we don't get drunk and drive, but uh, I had a couple old fashions, watched a really good movie. I mean, I don't even know where to start. Um, wow. Uh, exceeded expectations. Still gave me things to talk about with my friends right now. I mean, if you haven't seen it, 
say right now, it's finna be all up and through this next portion. Spoiler motherfucking alert, okay? Because I'm finna talk very candidly about how much I love this film. Um, about, uh, you know, I am not above having critiques for people, even people I fuck with. I'm not that person. I can enjoy somebody's music, enjoy somebody's art, enjoy somebody's, um, you know, acting, <clears throat> or um, even just flat out enjoy somebody, like as a human, and still feel like that nobody or nothing is above critique. So I definitely have some 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 critiques and things of that nature, but overall, I will get out the way, and one, spoiler, two, fucking love that shit. It was black as fuck, and I, I walked in there excited to see that, and that, that in and of itself was enough to carry me on this, like, high, because it was just so black, <clears throat> and so well done black, like, so many facets, not black, and it's like, oh, this is a really black movie, because there's black people in it, it's directed by black people, written by black people, and, you know, most of the cast is, is shit, really, the cast is not a whole lot of people, they're all black, <laughs> with the exception of, like, two people, I believe, um, three, if you count the cop, gotta count the cops so yeah like three three or four characters I think might have been white um and only three if, if I count all four in my head had speaking roles um and one of them was just a cop who was in the background at the protest so it's a black ass movie it gave two very different perspectives on the black experience it gave um a lot of different eyes and windows into the black experience on so many different levels it was it, it was oh my god it was just so beautifully shot like if, if just diving into it, my favorite thing about the whole movie was how it was shot. I mean, I'm getting more and more into cinematography um, after watching, you know, Mad Marvel movies and then things like Euphoria and 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 now Queen and Slim. I'm just catching myself pay attention to just the coloring of things and just the angles and how things are chosen to be shot and what close-ups are picked and how fast the camera's moving and how long it lingers on somebody's face or how long it lingers, um, you know, on on an object or or destination or or you know just anything and then how it's how you know the shooting it coincides with the music and oh my god the music in this one I mean we talked about the the fucking um you know the 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 soundtrack being just a, a, a beautiful nod being a 90s baby be a beautiful nod to things like um you know uh, uh soul food and and love jones and fucking waiting to exhale all the way up to like me being in middle school up until like loving basketball and brown sugar and the best man like these these movies that were for us and then also just had this music that just because we don't not do music you know black people are music so um you know having a new film come out that brings back the nostalgia of, of a, a really good soundtrack along with the movie like songs that you're like oh man that song, I like that song, and that's where they chose to use it. That That's cool to, like, listen to an album, um, a soundtrack, and then go see the movie and be like, oh, man, I love that song. I love how they chose to use it in this scene. Or listen to it and then go watch the movie and be like, oh, I wonder which ones actually made the movie and which of these are just all in the soundtrack. Um, so I loved it. I loved, I loved that aspect of it. The music was amazing. Dev Hines, a.k.a. Blood Orange, scored it. So not just how beautiful the music was from you know, the scene in the juke joint, so you get some misses, you get some blues type vibes to bounce music in New Orleans to, you know, <clears throat> uh, like hip hop, but like this kind of smooth vibe that you get when they're like in the car in Cleveland and they're even having conversation about music in the car. Like, you know, did you really fuck with this song before you saw Love Jones type shit? Um, or, or, or are you capping and you really just only know of this song because of Love Jones? And that's, you know, that's a clever scene and like a scene that I can relate to because that's some shit I would say to somebody like, man, you, you, 
you really fuck with this song or did you start fucking with this song because the movie made it popular? And um, that was there, you know, that that vibe of like, oh man, the reason I recognize this and say I would do this too is because nigga, I'm black. <laughs> like, so this, the even subtleties like that, like the conversation, the way that the, the characters of Queen and Slim talk to each other was just like, man, that's some black shit, bro. That's a thing. Like the vernacular, the, the swag, the the way that they just were with each other was black as fuck and it was beautiful. Like to see this guy have like this swagger of just like, I know Slim. I know a guy who's going on a date with a girl and he knows he has his shit together and he's kind of on that date like, girl, you lucky you sitting here next to me because I know it ain't a whole lot of niggas like me. <laughs> like, so I, I dug the date scene. I know, I know Queen. I, I kind of am Queen. Like the kind of, confidence that comes with being educated the kind of confidence that comes with being self-aware and um you know sure of your talents and the things that you're good at like queen gave you that she gave you that confident black woman and it was beautiful to see her just be like you know very very sure i'm an excellent lawyer i'm not a good lawyer i'm an excellent lawyer you know like be very sure of herself I, i know queen um and in the same time i know like queen and the aspect that this character is very sure of herself but then you also get these very soft moments from her which is just the epitome of a black woman right somebody who's just tough as nails but god if you get them to be vulnerable with you it's like the most beautiful thing ever because you know they don't do that with everybody um so yeah i I know queen i know slim like i know these characters and um you know the storyline was believable enough that you were in the whole movie the whole time like, so shout out to Lena Waithe for that in the writing. Like, um, you know, you're in it the whole time because enough of it seems believable to where you keep tracking. You don't check out because it's not like, oh, wow, this this just seems like just some something too wild and too too bullshit and just like, oh, they just have this uh, hot button type subject line of a cop dies by the hands of, of, you know, some black people, a white cop dies. And so, like, like this viral sensation, this is what the movie is about. Th- that is the inciting incident obviously and I love that the movie gets straight to it it gets straight to it so the whole movie is really just them on the run like the cop is dead within like 15 minutes of the movie starting like 15-20 minutes of the movie starting the cop's dead and now it's like okay we're on the run and in them being on the run it, it then turns into what you know from what I've heard in every interview that Lena's been in and it's her baby she wrote it is it's it's a love story so you get that and then you immediately get the love story of okay, we fell in love with each other on the run even though we are two very different people and the date wasn't even going that well. But now because of what went down, we're forever bonded and you know the way we start to look out for each other is, is it turns us into uh, cohorts and cohorts turns into you know having each other's back and having each other's back turns into loving each other. And I, that, that part of the story was amazing. That part was beautiful. I love how like um, dude is a really noisy eater so, the, you know, they're on a first date. So the first time they meet, they're eating. And uh, she's like not eating her salad. And he's like, you don't want that salad? It's really good. I've been here before. And she's like, why would you bring somebody to a diner for a first date? He's like, it's black owned. She was like, okay, okay. You got me there. Touche. It's black owned. Okay. I appreciate that. And he's like, the salad's good too. You're not going to eat it because I don't want no food to go to waste. So dude starts eating off her plate. It's their first date. And she's got to look at him like, that's crazy. And, you know, then they kill this cop. So they go get some food at like a McDonald's on the run type shit. And again, dude just like smack it. He makes OD noise when he's eating to the point where she's like, all right, I can't eat if you're making all that noise. Like, I, it's just, I can't. 
And and she was like, I have a thing about it. She had a thing about everything. I was like, my God, I know this woman. Like, I know so many just women, but black women for sure, who have a thing about everything. I have a thing about that. I won't do this thing. <laughs> and um, and what's funny is, so they, they, you know, they fall in love on the road. They get to the point where, uh, you know, they, they, they fuck. And <laughs> they're fucking. And after they fuck, they have, like, I think maybe one more scene when they're on the run, when they're, like, on their last pit stop before they, uh, they're trying to, like, actually get to Cuba. And um, they, they're having dinner with, um, uh, you know, the, the last people they're kind of seeing on their travels out. And dude's not making a fucking noise. <laughs> He's not making any noise at all. Like, she even looks over at him while they're eating and just, just looks at him. She doesn't say anything. But this nigga is the, he's quiet as a church mouse now. He's the most silent eater you've ever heard now. He's like, oh, shit, shorty, let me have some pussy. I got some respect for her now. I got some love for her now. Let me let me, let me try to control the way I'm eating over here. <laughs> I was like, there's, I don't know if anybody else caught that. I was like, that's a really cute no, nuance of, like, some dead-ass shit. Like, I actually like her now. She got on my fucking nerves. I'm a loud eater. I'm not changing me for her because at this point, I really give a shit about this shorty. Like, she's on my, she actually on my nerves kind of. She keeps critiquing me. She has a thing about everything. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> but then he gets to the point where he, like, starts to fall in love with her. And then, you know, they have this really sweet moment before they actually have sex. And then after they have sex, he's like, okay, I actually really fuck with shorty. All right, maybe I could quiet down. How many? I don't have to smack that loud. <laughs> I just, like, thought that was hella funny. Um, so that was super dope. Um, you know, uh, she, she's this atheist kind of in the beginning of the story. And then by the end of the story, she's saying grace. So it's just like, it's, it's a really dope story. I enjoyed the, the plot twists in the writing. Um, I like the way that, um, so, I mean, if you, if you haven't seen the movie, like I said, there's spoilers all through this, but, uh, when I get to the end, when they're, 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 they finally get, they, 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 they make it through so many different times they could have been possibly caught. They get to a jute joint, which is probably my favorite scene because, you know, he, he doesn't drink or smoke or do any drugs. And then by the time they're on the road this long, he, he's at the bar ordering two shots for him. And, uh, and he goes to pay for the shots. And the bartender, the, the lady who's the bartender is just like, no, nah, baby, you, your money's no good here. And you're safe with us. And she just kind of smiles at him and like, you know, kind of nods her head at him. And he's like, oh, shit. They know who we are, but nobody's tripping. Like they're actually they're they're taking care of us on some underground railroad shit. You're we're hiding, and we're good here. Like they know us up. We have a shared experience. They understand that shit, that could happen to any of us because we literally got to see it. It went viral, and and you know we're on your side. And uh, he he actually goes and tells you know Queen that she thinks what she's like. Yeah, I think they know who we are. She's like, oh shit, let's get the fuck out of here. And he's like, no, not I, I think we're good. And the whole time they start dancing and they're looking around and everybody's just kind of like nodding at him like, yo, you're good here. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's a pretty beautiful moments like that, but that's definitely my favorite scene. So either way, they get to the point where, all right, we're almost done. We're about to, yeah, it, it almost felt like, I, I was like, oh shit, are they going to make it out of this? I was like, that would be some kind of almost wildly revolutionary shit. Cause like I went into the movie thinking there's no way they're going to make it out of this movie. Like knowing the premise, they're going to die. Like, I don't I don't know how you go into that movie thinking that they're not going to, but after watching a lot of interviews with Melina and Melina, I was like, yo, Melina Matsukas is I got like I got a crazy lady crush on her. Like <laughs> she's a fucking boss, bro. She's a revolutionary as shit. She don't give a fuck. Like, but gives a fuck in the most like in the best possible way. And so like you hear her and she's so intentional with her work and her words and the way she she's you know, she was even 
tentative to take up the script. She's like, I don't want to do this just because I fuck with Lena. That's my homie. Like, I want to do it because the work is something I would do anyway. And then, like, just the cherry on top would be to work with my partner. And, it, and you know, she reads it and it, it passes and checks all those boxes. And, you know, I, I was like, man, she's just such a boss. Maybe she might just be like, fuck it. They're going to kill this white cop and they're going to get away with it. They're going to fucking be kicking it in fucking Cuba with Asada. Like, I, I was like, maybe, maybe, who knows? Nah, spoiler, that, that, that's not what happens. <laughs> that's not what happens at all. But they're, they're on this journey and, and you're in the movie at that point and so much has happened and it's just like you're kind of caught up, like I said, in the love story and then these two people falling in love that kind of start to forget about the fact that what initiated this is they, they're on the run. They shot a fucking cop. It just kind of turns into a love story. So you get so caught up in it that I'm like, man, are they finna get away with this? Like, what? And so they're trying to catch this plane to get the fuck out of Dodge and get to Cuba. And brother, the brother that's driving them there, me and my, me and my friend actually coincidentally wound up seeing the same showing of this movie at the same theater because I, I bought my, like I, like I said, I bought my ticket at work. I was just like, man, I'm going to see this movie if I got to go see it by myself. I asked a couple of homies, hey, you want to go see it? They were like, I got to, all right, that's cool, fuck all that. I'm finna go see this fucking movie. I've been waiting for this movie for literally like a year. Loki, I want to say like a year and a half, like, because well before I went to, went to New York, and it's been over a year since I went to New York. Well before I went to New York, I because I'm just such a big Lena Waithe fan, I was reading stuff already, and she was talking about this thing she was working on, and then it turned into this thing she was working on, to, oh, it's called this, Queen and Slim, and then it turned into, oh, this is who directing it, and then it turned into, oh, shit, the guy from Get Out's gonna be starring in it, and then it turned into, okay, watch out, here's the trailer, so I've been, I've been waiting on this movie for a minute, I wasn't waiting on nobody, I'm finna go see this movie, so find out after I bought my ticket that my homie's going to go see it too, my best friend Brent, so we go see the movie, um, uh, his girlfriend goes with him, we, like I said, didn't plan this at all, so we're sitting in different areas of the theater. After the movie, we're smoking a joint in the car, and we're talking, and, um, you know, he's, he's like, man, that's, that's fucked up that old boy sold him out. Now, at the time, the way that, like, it's kind of shot and the way it kind of starts to just kind of do this montage of, like, cuts at the end when they're running through, um, you know, finally hearing Queen and Slim's real names. I'm going to go see it again this weekend because I actually don't remember their names. You don't, they're Queen and Slim for the whole movie. And um, Lena Way said that she did it like that because she, you know, wanted to kind of honor the real reality of, you know, we never would have known Trayvon Martin's name if he hadn't died. You know, we never would have known Sandra Bland's name if she hadn't died. We never would have known, you know, so many countless people's names, Alton Sterling, you know, uh, uh, Freddie Gray, you know, Mike Brown. We wouldn't have known any of these people's names if they hadn't died, you know. So they're queen and slim. They're just these aliases throughout the entire movie until, you know, they die, spoiler, they die, you know, they get killed uh, by the cops on the tarmac trying to uh, take off, and, you know, the reason the cops know is because, uh, the black dude that was driving them to the tarmac, and the whole time there, was like, man, you want to hit this blunt, you know what I'm saying, blah, blah, he's like, nah, man, I don't, you know, Slim's like, I don't smoke, Slim's like, man, fuck it, you know, hits the blunt, Queen's like, fuck it, she hits the sweet, he's like, man, live your life, mama, live your life, Queen, she's like, just, just, I'm telling you the whole time you're in it, you're just like, maybe maybe they're going to get away. And then cut to, you know, after they get killed, this montage scene is just going through, like, everybody who kind of came across their path on their way while they're on the run. You know, they, they come across this kid while they're on the run, and he he's really, you know, kind of trapped up and caught in the ideas of being immortal. And, um, you know, just an aspect I've never thought about, but, you know, I when, when this, I don't know, these... 
viral videos of these black and brown people dying started becoming a thing. I was an adult. I wasn't 17. And, you know, I know myself well enough to know, but I also know myself and knew other kids that age who might have, I don't know, been influenced by the idea of being immortal and the fact that, you know, these people who become hashtags, they are going to live forever. They're, they were, you know, unfortunately kindling or, or for a fire or sacrifices before, you know, a whole generation you know, kind of took their turn and stood up and became their version of the movement. You know, every, every, every people of every oppressed people has one. And, uh, and that was, you know, those were the people, those were the inciting incidents that created the movement of black lives matter. And, you know, one of the biggest social justice movements that exists in our, our society today, where unfortunately these people had to lose their lives at the hands of police brutality. And, um, it's just really interesting um, that that's kind of how Lena chose to go with it. I mean, because it is, it does give this duality to the film. Because the whole time it's just like, man, you know, you're the only person you really have to be angry at is the cops, and um, and uh, this kid that they come across the uh, the paths with the path, their paths with uh, cross with. It, he just has this this idea of just being immortal, and um, and telling them, you know, you know, even if 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 you do die, even if the cops do get to you, you'll live forever. Because, you know, everybody will know this story. And, uh, you know, they take off because they're on the run. They got to go. And uh, and he goes to a protest for them. And uh, he's protesting them. And he actually winds up shooting a cop, killing a cop. And and one really, really crazy thing, just specifically about the experience in the theater. I was sitting next to uh, two white girls or two white women. And um, when, when Junior, the kid, shoots the cop in the face at the protest... We literally had the exact same reaction, which I thought was just something to kind of note when it happened. It just at the same time, he shoots it. He pulls out this gun, and we're just like, "Whoa!" Everybody, the whole theater is like, at this point is like, "Whoa!" You can kind of see everybody like be taken aback. And then he pulls the trigger and shoots this black cop. It's a black cop. The black cop is saying, "Man, kid, go home. Just please go home. I don't want to have to arrest you." Like, takes his visor out of uh, you know his riot visor, pulls it up, and looks him right in the eyes. Like, come on, man, just go home. And the kid shoots him right in the face. And me and the white girl next to me literally simultaneously simultaneously gasped and put our hands over our mouth. We both went <gasps> at the exact same time and put our hands over our mouths. And I just started shaking my head like, oh, man. Like, damn, kid. And that was just one of the most poignant parts of the film is just at that point, the kid wasn't seeing black or white. He was just seeing a cop. And I, I mean, I even know that I've been that way. I've even gone as far as to say sometimes, ooh, shit, that was a nice move. This kid from Villanova just, yeah, crazy first step, dripping. Um, but yeah, um, wow, yeah. It was just, it was a really, really, that was probably my most visceral reaction in the whole movie was when, uh, was, was when Junior shoots the cop. And I'm just like, oh, shit, wow. Like at that point, you know, that kid was just seeing blue. He wasn't seeing black or white. He was just seeing a cop. And I've even been so far as to say when I was younger that I trust black cops less. <laughs> like, I trust them even less because I'm just like, how could you go become a part of that system? So I can see somebody seeing a cop and not seeing black or white. They're just like, man, fuck that. You're a cop. And then he shoots him. It's just like, oh, shit. And so while they're on the run, they find out later that that kid, of course, wound up getting shot by police. So this teenage kid who's just talking about how much he looks up to them, just went and shot a cop because of them. 
because he wanted to be immortal like them. And, um, yeah, it's just a really wild part of the movie. And, um, it really, really struck a chord with me. It was probably one of the parts that I woke up the next day thinking about the most. It was that part. And then the black dude that sold him out. The black guy that's driving them down the tarmac to the, uh, to the, uh, to the plane that they were trying to take out of, out of the country to Cuba. Like, they, they get there, they telling him bye, he peels off, and they're about to, you know, walk up the steps to the plane, and all of a sudden the cops just pull up. Like, I, you know, you know how it go, you see the movies, just, um, <laughs> cops on cops on cops on cops all pull up, guns pointed, you know, hands up, get down on the ground, and, um, yeah, it's kind of crazy that, uh, you know, the black guy is the one that winds up selling him out. Because, you know, the cops shoot him, you know, they they kind of having their almost goodbyes, like they knew what was going to happen. They're sitting there talking to each other, and uh, Queen reaches for Slim's hand, and uh, a, a lady cop shoots her, and she goes down. And then Slim picks her up, and is just crying, holding her, and starts walking, and then, you know, almost like Cleo at the end to set it off. There were certain movies, there were certain movies that I just got the vibes from, like I could tell that Lena's the same age as me, that we probably grew up watching the same shit. Like, I got belly vibes from the way it was shot, and I think Melina's around the same age as us as well. Like, old enough to have seen all these movies. I got belly vibes. I got Love Jones vibes. I got Set It Off vibes. Like, like he, he Slim literally gets shot in the end almost the same way that, um, that Cleo does and Set It Off. I mean, not, you know walking towards the cop is in anger, like, fucking, I'm going out in the blaze of glory type shit, but, like, literally, like, lit up, the same way Cleo got lit up, <laughs> like, got lit up the same way, and it and shakes and falls to the ground almost the same way, it's kind of, I don't know if anybody else picked up on that, but, yeah, just, uh, just, yeah, I mean, I could go on forever about this movie, and, uh, it'll probably come up again before the end of the podcast, but, yeah, everything from the way it was shot, Everything from the acting, I mean, the last thing I do want to say about the acting is I loved it, you know, and um, I was tentative going in because I do, though I don't have an issue with it, I do understand the grievance that black American actors have with most of the bigger roles that have been going on lately in big black movies going to uh, black British actors from the U.K., and, you know, while they are black and live in America, so they're gonna, they're susceptible to the exact same things my ass is susceptible to being born in Texas, their experience, because they weren't born here and they didn't grow up here, um, is not the same as a black Americans. Now, uh, in, in research and just, you know, my excitement for the movie and hearing things, I do know that Daniel Kaluuya has actually experienced, um, some issues with the police himself to the point of being wrongfully arrested, suing the police and winning. And then after winning that suit, kind of being, you know, in the papers and stuff where he's from in the UK and like having people you know, reach out to him in the UK, like, hey, you know, that same thing happened to me. And so he's kind of been through some shit with the cops. So, you know, in learning that, I was like, well, though he may not be from America, he clearly is qualified and um, has been through things that will uh, add to his performance. And um, the reverence that I've heard uh, Jody Turner-Smith talk about um, you know, how she approached the role because she's not from here, but also recognizing the, the similarities and the things that we share in common as far as our uh, lived experiences just being black people in the world. Um, 
I like the way they handled it. I like the way that every time it was brought up to either Lena or Melina, they handled it. But I was still tentative because I do understand somebody saying, you know, Jodie Turner-Smith actually hit the nose on the head. She was like, and likewise, black American actors should be able to play black British roles. Like, if there's a black Brit that somebody makes a movie about and, you know, fucking Will Smith wants to play it, he should, he, yeah, he should have just as much chance to get that role as Idris Elba because, you know, why not? They can play us, we can play them. And if we're trying to say, you know, what we are essentially trying to say in that is we're one and the same, um, uh, um, then, you know, that kind of has to be the way it has to be attacked or handled. Uh, you know, if they're playing roles over here where they literally have to learn how to speak like us, like Daniel Kluwer was talking about, you know, in, in all the roles he's played at this point, I've all been American. And so he's like, there are certain words that he's just like, still just, he's like, I just can't say them. And that is an interesting idea. This like, is there somebody out there that could play that role that can already say it? Because remember, they killed J-Lo for playing Selena because she was Puerto Rican and not Mexican. So, you know, it's, it's it, you know, Zoe Saldana got killed for playing Nina Simone. And I wrote a poem about it <laughs> because, nah, shorty, not only are you not, not African-American, she'll tell you herself, but you're, you're not... You're not a dark-skinned black woman, and Nina Simone very much stood not only for black people, but for standing in your truth and being who you are, and to have somebody who has to go, you know, low-key be painted black and wear a fat suit to play her. It's like, come on, man. Like, you couldn't have found somebody who was the same body type and skin tone who's talented enough to portray this role? Because they're out there. They're out there. That's the thing that, you know, angers actors and things like that. It's like, we're, we exist. You know, it's not like you couldn't have found somebody. It's just, you just went with the, maybe the first person or the first person you found that you, like, could do this job, but if it, it doesn't mean there's not somebody else who can do that job. So I, I get the grievance that a lot of people have had in that area, but um, I love the acting. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I can't honestly say that I enjoyed Daniel Kaluuya's a bit more. Um, I have to watch it again. Joni Turner-Smith is just fun to watch on the screen, period. Like, that, she is, that is a beautiful black woman. Who, shit, my God, when she came around that corner after they cut her hair, what? Nigga? <laughs> shit. Oh, my God. I know I was audibly making noises like, ooh, shit. Wow. Jesus. I know I was, I know that white girl heard all that shit. Like, I don't give a fuck. That is a beautiful woman. My goodness gracious. Um, and she also played her part really well. Like so, so much so that, like I said, she put herself, she put me in the mind of people I know because she was so relatable. Um, but Daniel Kaluuya just, he had these like zingy one-liners and after he gets his hair cut, he, she walks in and she, he's like, you like it? And she kind of just stares at him and she's like, eh, eh, you know, you like this shit. <laughs> I was like, yo, that's some shit a nigga I know would say. Like, oh, quit playing. You know, you like this haircut. I look good. Like, stop acting like you don't like me. Like, we 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 through with the shits now. Keep it a buck. Nigga, you know I look nice. <laughs> and then, you know, the next scene, she's rubbing on his head. So she's talking about rubbing your head for good luck. Yeah, because you know you like this shit. Like, he has really cute one-liners and really, like, slick things to slay, say. And the way he would say things or the facial expression he would make when he would, you know, be like, you know, girl, don't tell me about how I'm eating right now. This could be my last meal. Woman, don't worry about how I'm eating. I'm just eating shit. <laughs> I might not even get to eat it. I might never get to eat McDonald's again. Fuck. <laughs> shit. I might get shot tomorrow. Nigga, we kill the cop. <laughs> so it's like, it's really, really interesting. Um, uh, 
after watching it, what I took away from each actor. And I really liked his one-liners. I really, really liked uh, Bokeem Woodbine um, from Jason's Lake. I really enjoyed his character, Uncle Earl. Um, I have a crush on India Moore, period. That would be probably the first place I say it out loud. <laughs> I got a crush on India Moore, bro. She's gorgeous, and her character is hilarious. Um, just like when they're trying to get a car and he's like, man, I got no extra cars to be giving y'all. And she's just like, really like very dissimilar to her character on pose. just kind of whimsical with like her mannerisms and things. So she's just kind of like, but what about the blue Catalina? <laughs> he's like, you had to tell him about that car girl. And she's just kind of smiling and looking at him the whole time. Just like, but you're not mad at me. <laughs> so like her character is very like whimsical and cute and funny. And um, just, like, his interaction with all the girls in the house uh, is really funny whenever they make that pit stop on their run. But, um, but like I said, I could go on forever about this movie, so I have to cap it somewhere. Go see it. Uh, Very saddened by the uh, be-your-own-people aspect of the ending of the movie. Um, But amazing, really dope love story. Um, I know some people who said they went into it thinking, you know, it was going to be very Bonnie and Clyde and, like, were even expecting, like, shooting scenes and, like, Nah, if you've watched anything that Lena's talked about or anything that Melina's even talked about, like, like at the at the end of the day, this is a love story, and the um, the ramifications around it just make it even more interesting. But it is a love story nonetheless, and let yourself get caught up in that when you go see it. Let yourself just get all the way wrapped up in the fact that like these two people who may not have been a typical match in a very not so typical situation, um, kind of found each other, fell in love, and have this very sad and a Romeo and Juliet way of the ending, but, um, but very true love story. So yeah, go see Queen and Slim. Fuck. I, I don't know that shit. Whew, that shit got me all in my feels and my vibes. But yeah, go see Queen and Slim. If you haven't gone to see it, I'm going to go see it again this weekend. Um, shout out to Melina, Wa- Melina Matsukas and Lena Waith. Um, y'all did that. Shout out to, uh, Jody Turner Smith. You are a queen for sure. And uh, shout out to, to uh, Daniel Kaluuya, who uh, who definitely was, um, like I said, had my favorite lines of the movie. So uh, really, really, really enjoyed Clean and Slim. Um, go see that. Go see that. Run them numbers up, too. Because every, everything I've read as far as a, um, a review, uh, it sounds like they're shocked that it's doing so well. It's already recouped its budget. I think they spent about $16 million making the movie, and it made about $16 million in the opening weekend. So let's run that shit up. Let's go see it 10, 12 times the way we did fucking Black Panther because the more shit like that gets made, the more shit like that is successful. At the end of the day, black pe- white people know black people are what controls the cool. They know that. So if a black-ass movie looks like it's going to make a whole lot of money, that's all they give a fuck about. They know we're going to go see it. And if it keeps making a lot of money, they know that everybody else will go see it too because they follow suit to what we do. We control the cool. So let's, let's make black movies cool. Go see that shit. Go support that shit. So when I'm trying to make a motherfucking movie, somebody will buy that shit. And I can put on other motherfuckers who I know that would be good in helping me make that movie. That's how this shit goes, bro. Support black business because literally at the end of the day, we're all one big culture, especially black creatives. So do that. Go see Queen and Slim. Shit's fire. So finally, the last and finally of the um, listen to watched and read. I'll probably keep the topics pretty short since uh, I, I had that whole diatribe about Queen and Slim, but y'all knew it was coming. Um, but the last thing I read, um, also about a black creative I really enjoy, is uh, Tyler, the Creator's um, article in GQ. Um, 
I didn't really learn anything about Tyler, but I always enjoy reading about Tyler just because he's such an interesting individual. Um, every time I read anything or see him in anything, it uh, a thousand percent affirms the, the fact that I have no intention or desire to in any way um, hang out with this guy. I would love to like make art with him because I just love the way his mind works. Like He has a really beautiful mind. But I have absolutely no desire to hang out with this kid. Like everything I ever ever heard about um, just how he maneuvers, I'm just like, man, that shit would drive me fucking nuts. Like, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm a teaser, but I'm not a the dozens person. Like, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that like I grew up with an older brother that's so much older than me. He's 16 years older than me. So outside of my friends, like, I, I can take it. I ain't no bitch. You know, so I can take it, and I can tease somebody, but, like, I'm not a really just, like, let's just sit here and talk shit about each other type of nigga. I just, that's not how I was raised. I grew up around people who everybody is older than me. You know, my brother's 16 years older than me, so that means all my cousins and stuff really grew up with him. By the time I was old enough to even really hang out, these motherfuckers were already in college or, or older. So I didn't really grow up with people just like us sitting there teasing each other and like, what do you have on? You're not funny. You fat. This bitch ass nigga. Like we didn't do that. You know what I'm saying? Like that that shit make a nigga want to fight. I don't do the. We didn't do that. Like you call me fat nigga. That's nigga. We can look at that shit. Like nigga, I, we do. I I didn't grow up like that. I don't play like that. I maybe had maybe two or three friends that I did that with. Uh, my best friend R.I.P. Monisha. Um, um, Maybe my homie Breon in high school a little bit. We kind of might have teased each other a little bit. And then being on basketball teams, you know, growing up playing sports, definitely there. But, like, that was, like, the ascent. And I'm witty, so I always had comebacks and stuff. But that was, like, the extent of, like, my, like, teasing or anything. I, I, I just didn't do that shit. Like, I'm I'm not a I don't know, stick in the mud. I'm not boring by any stretch of the means. If you listen to me or anybody who, you know, knows me knows that's not me at all like I I know how to have a good time but at the same time like I'm not yeah I'm not yeah yeah I don't do that so the way I like listen to him in articles describe the way he talks to his friends and like I see the way he talks to his friends like on Instagram like him and schoolboy Q or ASAP Rocky will call each other a bitch and all this other stuff and I'm just like bro that's just that's yeah we don't I don't we don't play that so I, I would never hang out with the kid but I since flower boy I really enjoyed his music. And I, I even more so because Flower Boy and Igor I like so much, and I did not at all like the previous albums, I really enjoy his story because of the metamorphosis. I remember watching an interview with him and him being really excited about the uh, Flower Boy album, which he got nominated for a Grammy for, for his, the first one he got nominated for a Grammy for, uh, because it was the first album he'd made that he'd seen black people dancing to. He was like, that was something he was really focused on. That album was... You know, a lot of his earlier music to me was just about like shock factor. Like I didn't, I don't think it was like void of creativity. But god damn, Cole Anthony, this motherfucker is not to be fucked with. He is not to be trifled with. And the look on his face says he knows it. Wow, that was a deep three six point game. Whew. But uh, but yeah. So Tyler the Creator is uh, you know, he's 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 been known for shock factor and things of that nature. But uh, he he put out flower boy and was really focused on trying to make something that he could see his own people enjoy because he didn't really have black fans before flower boy who back-to-back triples from Cole Anthony three-point game this nigga don't give a fuck Woof, I love it um but yeah so uh he puts out flower boy 
And he was right. He saw niggas dancing to it, and I was one of them niggas dancing to it. That is a, I love that album. Like, to this day, I still listen to that album. November, even Glitter, like, oh my goodness. There's so many songs on that album that I just thoroughly fucking enjoy. And uh, he deserved every Grammy nomination that he got for it. Um, And then now, with Igor, uh, I wouldn't say it's so much as much of a rap album, because I feel like Flower Boy was his, like, the best bars I've ever heard from him. He was rapping on that shit. But, um... But this album still is very much like a rhythmic album to the point where like you can you can catch a vibe. You, you know what I'm saying? You get a groove. And um uh I really, really enjoy it and I enjoy seeing his metamorphosis from making a type of music that I did not and to this day I've even revisited it, still don't enjoy <laughs> at all. To making two albums that I thoroughly enjoy and uh Igor has also been nominated for a Grammy and, and I believe it deserves it as well. I don't think it should be in the rap category. But it definitely deserves a Grammy nomination. I think that white people are still just scared to like put him in the nomination for some shit like Album of the Year, which is really where it should be. It shouldn't be in the rap category. It's not a rap album. I don't even think the nigga raps on that. I've only listened to it maybe all the way through twice, but I don't remember hearing a single fucking bar from this nigga. <laughs> not a single verse. So I don't know why it's in the rap category, but hey, this is the same reason you, they got, uh, what's that, the new Kanye West album listed under the rap category too, and that shit is a fucking gospel album, they're, that nigga, hell no, that shit ain't no damn rap album, but you know, black people have to be making rap, right, I think I've touched on that before, it's a whole other conversation, but either way, uh, the article in GQ was interesting, just cause, like I said, he's an interesting cat, um, it was funny, uh, matter of fact, it was so funny that, let me go to it and let's see who that article was written by. I got to get better about um, crediting authors of like articles and um, like things like that that I read in different magazines and newspapers and stuff like that uh, because some of these some of the some of the best writing I've read lately has been in just that has been in uh, articles and been in magazines. Um, the article I read in California Sunday or Sunday California um, about Melita Matsukis, one of the one of the my favorite things I've read in a very long time, and uh, this article about Tyler in GQ uh, is by Carrie either Batten or Baton B A T T A N, um, and shout out to the photographer as well and the stylist because these are also phenomenal photos. Like Tyler looks amazing, and shout out to him for being on the cover of GQ with a pic in his hair. <laughs> so that's just dope. Um, uh, I fuck with it. That's another thing about Tyler that I fuck with. He's just such an interesting dude. Like, out of I think he has like five or six albums now, including his group albums with Odd Future. Um, uh, he to me has stepped up in so many ways. Cause I remember when I used to say, man, that I, that group is goofy because the best writers out of a rap group are both uh, singers. Cause I I am a very very big Frank Ocean fan. And I'm also a big Sid fan. And those are two, um, uh, uh, drop my damn joint. Those are two, uh, um, uh, Odd Future alumni. Um, and now he's added himself into that category. Like, if he keeps making music like this, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, he's right up there with him because those two albums I enjoy so much that I would say, you know, I'm a fan of all three of them now. And Earl Sweatshirt makes good albums too. He's not somebody I really run to, but I know people who are really big fans of his and I, I do think he makes good music. Um, but it's really interesting to see how they've all grown. And Tyler has just morphed into this wild multi-hyphenate that I can't help but respect. And this article just highlights that as most of the stuff does. Like, he's into fashion and he makes clothes that I really enjoy. 
I had a pair of his shoes on at the uh, at the premiere I went to um, this uh, this past weekend. I I enjoy his clothing. Uh, he has a fucking carnival that he puts out. He has an ice cream flavor. He makes music. He produces other people's music. Like, he is getting into acting, and he has directed uh, commercials and music videos, and uh, I think he's working on a cartoon, and he had a comic at one point as well. Like, these are all things that I'm into. Anybody who knows me, clothes, shoes, comics, music, acting, like, <laughs> all shit that I fuck with. So to see him be able to create really high-quality work, um, on, on so many different levels is, uh, is really interesting to me. And, uh, it's why, you know, despite the fact that so much about his personality is so off-putting to me, um, that I, I still really, really respect him. Um, again, just, I don't have to like somebody to respect them. And if I like somebody, I'm down to, you know, question them or critique them. And, um, I really, really enjoy, um, all the different avenues that he does very well because that's you know, ultimately the kind of space I would love to be in is just be able to have all these ideas and be able to bring them to fruition either through having a base that trusts me enough to follow it or through having enough money to just fund it my fucking self and bet on myself and then you know know it'll work but um, but it's a really dope article if you're a fan of Tyler go read it if you're just a fan of well written articles go read it it's really interesting like I said he's such an interesting dude that you know you you got to respect the dude whose alter ego is a blonde mushroom haired dude that looks like he's like from the 60s or 70s that looks like he's on some type of acid trip fyi tyler the creator does no drugs all of the craziest people i've ever known or hung out with in my entire life didn't do any drugs or didn't drink like they'd just be out here bugging the fuck out high on life and it's hilarious and, um, yeah, if you you want to read a really go- dope article about just a really interesting individual and it's really well written, uh, check out the article that the link to is in their Instagram, um, uh, GQ Tyler, the creator written by again, uh, Carrie Baton or Batan, um, really, really dope article. So that was the last thing I read, last thing I watched and last thing I listened to, man, I feel like really, I was really long winded there, but uh, again, I just, I could keep going about Queen and Slim and I, I even felt like I just had to cut it off, but yeah, go see that fucking movie if you haven't seen it yet. Um, but bam, so on to the next uh, segment. And this is our our new segment. We're gonna keep it going. This uh, this segment is the nigga we made it, and uh, and uh, the nigga we made it segment is uh, a huge shout out to the homie Miss Teal Williams. Um, attended her uh, Gingerfied uh, series premiere this weekend. Uh, and it was, it was dope. It was a dope turnout. The food was good as far as like the snacks and stuff they had. That tips, treats, cookies. Ooh, shit, them cookies are so goddamn good. I went over there, like, literally almost before I left because I was like, I'm not even finna go near them cookies because I know when I start eating one, I'm gonna have, like, six of these motherfuckers, yo. Them shits is so good. Like, the type of chocolate chip cookie to just, you pick that bitch up and it just starts falling apart in your hand. Just buttery goodness. Oh, my God. I literally went over there, like, after everybody had already been over there because I was just like, man, I'm not finna be the nigga standing over here by the cookies. So... Yeah, man, food was fantastic. Um, everybody looked great. I, you know, any excuse to wear a suit. If you've seen my Instagram, you see I was, I was out there. You know, what I'm saying I had my suit on, I mean, with my with my pink matching attire to go with the theme of the night, and her and her pink carpet. Got to do my first uh, pink carpet or red carpet interview, and it definitely made me feel like yo, yeah, nigga could get used to this. So I uh, shout out to Miss Tia Williams for her uh, gentrified series dropping. Uh, got to see two episodes at the premiere, and they did not disappoint. Uh, my ears are, are 
perked and my eyes are peeled um, waiting to hear where I can find those next episodes. Uh, if you do not follow her, follow Tia Williams on Instagram. Um, um, yeah, really, really dope series. Really, really happy for her and, uh, and all the work that I know she's put into, uh, put into, um, uh, uh, that, that series and, uh, and yeah, the promotion of it. And yeah, just really excited for her. It was, it was a fucking smash. She was a success. Uh, I performed at a really good time. Um, you know, I always love performing in rooms where I then walk away with numbers and, uh, and cards and exchange information, uh, where other people are interested in having me back out. So really, really excited, uh, to see this show and, and, you know, really, really excited to see where I'm going to be able to see the show. Cause she said that's a surprise. So, um, hoping that that's an announcement that comes with, with blessings for her and yeah, go follow, uh, Tia Williams on Instagram. Um, it's, uh, I believe it's, it's Tia Williams. Let me see double check and make sure yeah it's it's i-t-s-t-i-a-w-i-l-l-i-a-m-s uh she is again the creator of the uh, the gentrified series that just premiered and um yeah really really excited for her really really dope event that she put on and um again thank you for having me it was really uh hyped to be a part of it it was beautiful and especially beautiful to see that many brown people all collectively gathered in austin because you know we don't get to see that that often so shout out to you for curating the vibes um yeah so nigga we made it Congratulations to you. Uh, so yeah, uh, moving on to the hot topic segment of this. Uh, so uh, yeah, so we'll get right into it. We were talking kind of about uh, Grammy nominations and uh, the uh, the fact that Igor got nominated for a best rap album. Um, so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pull up the actual nominations and just kind of run through the ones that uh, I care about because <laughs> that's not all of them. Uh, unfortunately, sorry to say, or not so sorry to say, actually, but, uh, but yeah, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, let's see, pull up the Grammy, so the most important ones to me, uh, I'm gonna go with a best rap song, uh, so the nominations for best rap song are, uh, Rick Ross and Drake, Gold Roses, uh, my guy Nipsey Hussle and Roddy Rich, and Hit Boy for Racks in the Middle, you know who I want to win, I ain't gotta really say nothing else. The uh, baby with Suge, fucking probably record of the year. <laughs> um, Twenty One Savage and J Cole for a lot, best verse of 2018, and YBN Cordae featuring Chance the Rapper uh, on Bad Idea. Uh, YBN Cordae had my favorite rap album of the year uh, in 2019. Um, out of that category, I'm gonna definitely say I want Nipsey to win. Uh, who I think might win is either gonna be Nipsey or the baby. Just because, like I said, I think the baby with Suge might have had the biggest, if not best, maybe in everybody's opinion, the biggest rap song of the year. Um, that shit still rings out, and it came out in 2018. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's best rap song, best rap album. We got Dreamville, Revenge of the Dreamers. That was uh, probably my second favorite rap album that came out in 2019. Uh, we got Tyler, the Creator with Igor. Amazing album. Again, I do not think it's a rap album. We got Meek Mill with Championships. Probably who I think is going to win. I think Meek Mill had such a big year in 2018, and he's still having such a big year, and, you know, was headlining a huge tour, and Championships was huge, and had great features, and he just, you know, released it right after coming out of jail. I, I think he had such a huge, just rebranding year that uh, that he might be the one to win that category. Um, uh, 21 Savage with I Am, uh, which uh, was a really good album. Uh, 21 Savage's album was actually really, really good. And he had an interesting year as well with a... Uh, his immigration situation and, and the um, conversation that he brought up uh, with his situation that arose when they tried to uh, 
to um, you know deport him or he was deported rather and the difficulty he had getting back in the states and kind of explaining his situation um, was you know a very timely situation that brought some light to uh, you know a community um, struggling of immigrants struggling with um, you know being their status here in the states so he had a very interesting year as well um, and then YBN Corday the Lost Boy which again is my my favorite album my favorite rap album for sure of 2019 and, um, and you know what I, who I hope wins I think it'd be really dope if YBN Corday won um, just kind of out of the gate uh, on some like the way Kendrick should have won type shit but I think that uh, that Meek Mill will probably take that if they don't find a way to give an, uh, a Grammy finally to J. Cole with best rap song um, I think or they might try to give it to, to him um, through Revenge of the Dreamers and then we got best rap performance. Now, best rap performance is specifically about what this person who is nominated did on the song. So if it's a feature, if it's a whatever, um, what they did on the song, <clears throat> their performance on it. So best rap performance, we have uh, J. Cole with Middle Child. Uh, we got uh, Dreamville featuring uh, J.I.D., Boss, J. Cole, Earth Gang, and Young Nudie with Down Bad. We got DaBaby with Suge. We got Offset and Cardi B with Clout. And we got Nipsey Hussle featuring Roddy Rich and Hit Boy with Racks in the Middle. Now, again, it's posthumous, so I want Nip to win it, you know, of course. Uh, who I think might win this because, again, you got to remember, this is specifically performance, what they did on the song. Uh, I think J. Cole might win that one. I think they, they know and they've heard people complaining about the fact that J. Cole has not won um, a Grammy. A lot of people thought he should have won it last year instead of Cardi B. I I am one of those fucking people. Um, and uh, yeah, because that album was really, really good. The uh, the, um, the one that had 1985 on my live and Kevin's heart on it. Uh, shit, what was the name of the album? K.O.D. K.O.D., yeah. K.O.D. was fire and to me it was definitely the best rap album that came out in that category uh, in the Grammys last year. But I think that the Grammys might have heard it with all these nominations he has. I think he's just, he's going to catch one. Um, and, you know, it's about time. And then you got Best Rap Sung Performance. So this is, um, I believe these are all album, these are all rap songs that have, uh, like, singing on them at some point. So you got Lil Nas X with Panini. Um, love that kid. Hate that fucking song. <laughs> oh, you got DJ Khaled featuring Nipsey Hussle and John Legend with Hire, uh, which I think has a really, really good chance of winning. Uh, you got Lil Baby and Gunna with Drip Too Hard. That might go down just because that, if, if the Baby Shug was the song of the year, that, that shit was neck and neck. Um, uh, Mustard featuring Roddy Rich with Ballin. I really like that song. And I think that it's interesting that Roddy Rich is nominated for a Grammy on multiple different songs. So you know it's uh it's not just that song. That kid's contributing. He's doing something and I like a lot of the shit that he's on. And um yeah, I think I think that kid's really, really talented. So it's it speaks to his talent that he's nominated. Um it's he essentially he's nominated on uh on two different uh songs that he contributed to and made them Grammy worthy. So I think that's dope. And then, um, and then you got Young Thug, Travis Scott, and J. Cole for the London. Now, the London was a huge song. I love that song. Again, I think they're um, one more time, uh, not only with J. Cole in that nomination, but with Travis as well. A lot of people uh, have complained about uh, Travis's lack of acknowledgement from the Grammy board. So, those are all the rap categories. And then the big categories we got Album of the Year and uh, and Best New Artist. 
So album of the year we have her with I Used to Know Her. The album is fire. Lil Nas X with seven. <sighs> Lana Del Rey, uh, Lizzo, a Vampire Weekend, Bon Iver, Aria, Ariana Grande with Thank You Next, and Billie Eilish. Uh, so, who do I think is going to win? I think when it comes to album of the year, it's always some weird shit. So it might be like Bon Iver or Vampire Weekend. Bon Iver I've heard of, but Vampire Weekend I've never heard of. So they might pull like a Coldplay. Anybody remember when Coldplay won and when Yellow won everything? And people are like, who the fuck is Coldplay? And what the fuck is Yellow? Nigga, an amazing song. I had never heard that shit until after it won a Grammy. And right now, it was all yellow. If that shit came on, I'm going to start screaming. It's a fucking great song. But I had never heard of it when they when they won, like, fucking eight Grammys or some crazy shit. People are like, who the fuck is Coldplay? Um, so they might pull that. Album of the Year is always some shit out of left field. Or what they might do is give it to uh, uh, the uh, the planetant. <laughs> the, plant, the plant goddess herself, uh, Lizzo. She's been racking up and everything, and I think she's kind of just, I think she's also nominated in a bunch of other categories. I'd like to point out that she's not nominated in the rap category. Please, would she stop running around telling people she's a rapper? Like, you a rapper, but the one song that, like, has rapping like qualities to it, you didn't even fucking write. So, either way, that's a whole other conversation, but I think she's being groomed to win some shit. So, she might take that, uh, as well as she's also in the Best New Artist nomination, which is Billie Eilish, Billie Eilish uh, Black Pumas, Maggie Rogers, Rosalia, Lil Nas X, Yola, Lizzo, and bang, 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 fucking tanking the bangers, nigga, was popping, it was going, yo, I am so excited to see them in this fucking nomination, bro, Tank from Tanking the Bangers is a long-standing staple in the uh, slam poetry community, which most people know I came out of and came up through uh, as a huge part of my creative journey, Um, the first time I actually ever, ever went to uh, the National Poetry Slam uh, in um, Minnesota, I believe it was, um, the, uh, the final round we were in before going to the, uh, the finals, uh, my first year was with, uh, Team Snow, which is Slam New Orleans. And the, they were headlined by this beautiful black woman who had this amazingly unique and just, oh, like, like butter, soulful fucking voice, uh, by the name of Tank. And, uh, they had all these poems where we're just like, oh my God, they're so fucking good. The entire team can sing. What the hell? And, uh, they were led by, by her and, uh, she transitioned out of that slam poetry community, which really was kind of like stifling her creativity because she's so much more than that. Um, and, 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 and turned it into a, a music career and got a band together and it has been beautiful. I guess this is a secondary version of Nigga We Made It because it has been view- beautiful to uh, view via Instagram and, and, you know, in person, her climb from doing, you know, I remember the first time they booked Lollapalooza and, and then all the way up to now being nominated for the Best New Artist category. So, you know who the fuck I want to win. Like, represent, bro. If they win, I'm going to be screaming and I'm in their corner and it's an honor to be nominated, but I hope they fucking take that shit. So congratulations and shout out to Tank and the Bangers. Um, beautiful to see the South and poetry represented so, so wonderfully. And, 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 
yeah, man, she's having a bang up year, and I'm just really happy for her. That shit is amazing and inspiring and, and just fucking wonderful. So congratulations to them. Um, and then the last category I'm going to go through is uh, uh, Record of the Year and Song of the Year. And that is Lil Nas X and Billy Ray Cyrus. This is Record of the Year uh, with uh, Old Town Road. Uh, her with uh, Hard Place. Uh, Billy Eilish with Bad Guy. Ariana Grande, Seven Rings. Post Malone and Sway Lee, Sunflower. Truth Hurts by Lizzo. Talk by Khalid. And Hey Ma by Bon Iver. Uh, who do I think is going to win this? Lil Nas X and Billy Ray Cyrus for Old Town Road because they had the biggest fucking song of the year as well as one of the biggest songs ever. Uh, and yeah, so I think... I, 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 don't even know, I don't even know if it makes sense to say anything further. They're going to win that. If they don't, it doesn't make any fucking sense. Um, I enjoy her. I actually really like that Lizzo song. Uh, Sunflower is my shit. I fucking love that movie. Um, but yeah, it, it wouldn't make any sense at all for anybody but Lil Nas X and Billy Ray Cyrus to win that song, win that Grammy. Um, yeah, with all the records they broke this year, with what that song did virally, with what that song did sales-wise, with what that song did just for that kid's career, like, yeah, it makes no sense for that not to be record of the year, so... Um, and then Song of the Year is very similar. We got Lady Gaga with Always Remember Us This Way. Billie Eilish again with Bad Guy. Uh, Tatiana Tucker with uh, Bring My Flowers Now. Lizzo again with Truth Hurts. Lana Del Rey with Norman fucking Rockwell. Uh, Taylor Swift with Lover. Uh, her again with Hard Place. And, uh, and Louis Capaldi with Someone You Loved. Huh. Um, so Song of the Year, uh, I think Lizzo's going to win that. I want Billie Eilish to win that because I really enjoy that song and I enjoy her and album, um, but I don't think it should win album of the year. Um, so I, I, yeah, I, I want Billie Eilish to take that because I enjoy that song the most out of all those songs. Um, but I think Lizzo's gonna win that song. Um, again, I think they're gonna find a way to get her one of these. So uh, I think she is like the artist that they are pushing for us to to enjoy, even if, whether you like her or not. So I think uh, she will win that. Or um, it'd be really dope to see her win that. Her and I already won too many fucking Grammys anyway to not have an actual album out. So, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think uh, Lizzo's probably going to take that one. Um, so those are the uh, Grammy nominations, or at least the ones I give a fuck about. Uh, so, yeah. Moving right along. And kind of kind of spawning off of, uh, of Lizzo. Uh, I don't know if anybody noticed or paid attention to the Lizzo uh, comments that were made uh, by Ari uh, Lennox after losing the Soul Train Award. Uh, uh, to her um, I've heard Lizzo's album and I will say this I would not go back and listen to it a second time because it's not for me why is it not for me because that is a pop album that is a pop album and when I say it is a pop album because I I believe touched on here if not touched on here I'll touch on it now pop is not an actual category pop is not a genre of music pop just means popular and popular just means white people fuck with it and so that is what pop music is. White people fuck with it. Whether it is pop hip-hop, because white people fuck with it, or because Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears are singing R&B music, so now white people fuck with it. Or if Lizzo is putting out an album and winning Soul Train Awards, despite the fact that this is some shit that I don't know too many people with soul that fuck with, uh, this is white people shit. And, um, and that's also why I think she's kind of being forced down our throats because white people fuck with her. Um, but uh, I do understand why Ari was so upset because if you have heard Ari Lennox's album that is a soul album that is a black ass album with a soulful old school 
Erica Badu meets Jill Scott, but with a fucking millennial twist ass album. That is a soul album. That is somebody who cares about soul music, making music. And uh, I completely understand why she took to Twitter and was like, yo, uh, you know, I know I'm not the biggest artist in the world. Is you know, be paraphrasing, of course. Uh, I know I'm not the biggest artist in the world, so I don't expect to win most stuff. But the Soul Awards, the, you know, the Soul Train Awards, the Soul Album, the Soul Recognition, I expected to get that. You know, maybe I shouldn't have, but I did. And it hurt to not win this album, and especially she kind of mentioned to give it to somebody who doesn't make soul music. So I understood her gripe. I mean, a lot of people tried to kill her and be like, she's being salty. And, you know, you can call it that if you want to. Or I think Joe Budden called her entitled on his podcast. You can call it that if you want to. But at the end of the day, if you think you've worked hard enough to earn something, you know, people complain about not getting nominated or getting quote unquote snubbed for Grammys. And we know they never get it right. This is probably the closest I've seen to them getting it right with nominations in a long time. And that just means I expect them to fuck up with who wins. (laughs) So... They rarely get it right. I, I don't ever expect that. But maybe somebody's already had that conversation with her because she said she's never expected to win those things. But, you know, she said soul because she's so openly honest and so obviously, you know, affected and influenced by soul music. She thought that that might be the one place where she caught some recognition and she didn't. So she took to Twitter to vent about it and people kind of killed her for being honest. And it's like, yo. You, you get mad, these motherfuckers get mad at these celebrities when they don't say stuff on their Twitters. They're like, oh, they went ghost on us. This is boring. I'm not going to follow them. Or I'm irritated. I want more content. And then when they give you content and they're honest, you're like, oh, that that's what you want the content for is to kill them for being honest? Shit, I'd have been mad too. I'd have been, especially, who, who's to say? Maybe if she loses that to Summer Walker, whose album was eh, more R&B than Soul, but R&B got more soul in it than that motherfucking album that Lizzo put out. <laughs> shit. So maybe she who's to say maybe if she had lost to somebody like that that she wouldn't have been as upset. But she she's upset and, and rightfully so because yo, I lost out at the Soul Awards to a non soul album when my album had all kinds of soul in it. So, you know, I feel her. I don't think she deserves to be killed the way people are killing her for it. And I, I you know, I'm with you. I love that album. You know, New Apartment was one of my favorite songs of this year. Like I I love that that whole album break me off, like, yeah. Yeah, that whole album is amazing. Like, to me, this year was the year of R&B or soul. Like, there weren't that many good hip-hop albums that came out this year, and there weren't that many really great, to me, standout albums of any other category. Like, I haven't listened to the, the, the country album this year that was just, like, so good that it transcended country music. I haven't heard the fucking rock album this year that was so dope, or the rock song this year, even, that was so dope, that it transcended, you know, its genre. They're just, I think it was a kind of a weak music overall, weak year for music overall, especially hip hop. I think this year was really the year of R&B and soul. And uh, for her to have put out to be arguably one of the best R&B albums or soul albums this year and to be snubbed by an album that does not really have that format, yo, I completely understand why she was upset. And uh, I say get up off Shorty's back. You know what I'm saying? Leave, leave, leave Shorty alone. She let her complain. I'd be pissed off too. <laughs> um, so uh, keeping with time, like I said, I know I droned on about uh, about Queen and Slim, but again, if you haven't seen that movie, go see it now. Oh, man. Just thinking about different scenes of it just makes my whole fucking, like, the hairs on my arms stand up. My back, like, get shivers. It's, oh, it's such a good movie. Um, So to get into some funny shit, though, uh, <laughs> I don't know if, uh, if anybody has um, seen this clip on the internet. And I'm going to pull it up because I want to make sure I get the, the girl's name right. 
But uh, Justin Timberlake out here wilding, y'all. <laughs> Justin Timberlake is out here wilding the fuck out. Um, so uh, Justin Timberlake is a cur- uh, apparently currently shooting a movie called Parker. Yes, called Parker. Uh, and this movie is um, starring Alicia Wainwright. And Alicia Wainwright is a very pretty young lady, an actress. And the movie is being um, shot in New Orleans. And there is this video. <laughs> oh, shit, I'm watching it right now with the fucking sound off, my nigga. Hold on. <laughs> Yo. This shit is too funny, my guy. Uh, so there's a video of uh, Mr. Justin Timberlake and Miss Alicia Wainwright, and they are, <laughs> they are, um, it looks like maybe at a restaurant, or they're sitting on like the balcony of, um, they're sitting on the balcony of maybe, it doesn't look like a club, but you never know in New Orleans, it could be. They're sitting on the balcony of a club or a bar or something that it looks like the cast went out to, and the whole cast, you know, as casts do, um, all hang out because they're all on location at the same time. So probably the only people you know there, unless you know somebody in that city, is the cast. And there are these videos, boy. When I tell you, baby, Justin, 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 weed is not legal in uh, in in New Orleans, as far as I know. But it looked like my nigga smoking a blunt in public, which I did in New Orleans too. But it looked like my nigga smoking a blunt. Uh, he looks litty titty, like my guy's eyes are low. He's moving slow. <laughs> He's kind of swaying. And the most damning part of the video is that at different points in time, he's got his hand on mama's leg. They're kind of holding hands like in this kind of cutesy way to where their fingers are intertwined. And like she's got her hand on his thigh. And it, it's, it's, it's nothing that's like, yo, this is so damning that like, what the fuck? But it's pretty fucking funny. Like, it looks like Justin Timberlake had a bit of a YG moment. If anybody uh, heard about when YG uh, was at a show or something, and, you know, YG's dating Kalani now, and they've been all over Instagram, Baylonied up and all that shit, right? And um, he was, like, kind of groping and being very handsy with a fan to the point where, like, his mans and some other people like, yo, bro, you're being recorded right now. Like, you know, this shit's going to be on the internet tomorrow. Right. Like, and that's essentially this, the scenario that I'm catching right now with Justin is, yo, dude looks fucking wasted. Forgot where he was. He is very much, very much, um, married to Jessica Beale and has been for, since I think like 2012. So they've been married for like seven years. They got a kid, uh, they have a son, and it, yeah, it's just like, come on, bro, you know this shit, you're a huge pop star, and even bigger, just household name, and you are 1,000% going to be on Instagram, and every blog, and every TV show tomorrow, you are tripping, like, oh my god, Google Justin Timberlake, and it holds hands, and it'll finish it, like, it's hilarious, bro, this nigga looks like he is fucking on it, <laughs> he is, yeah, he's doing the fucking most, like, I, the whole time I watched the video, I say watch the Us Weekly one, because there's, like, ad-libs and shit in it, and that shit is hilarious, like, I just giggled my ass off the first time I saw it for probably, like, a solid three minutes, because you can just tell, 
my guy, like, he may not have done anything. He may have gone home by himself after this, but he was definitely on it, and he was definitely being handsy, and he was definitely forgetting where he was, obviously. Like, oh my God, bro, what the fuck? <laughs> this shit is super funny. Oh, um, but yeah, Google that shit if you want to get a good laugh. Um, what else is funny on this list? I'm trying to, before I get into some 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 heavier shit and some sports, uh, let me see what else is funny on this list. I guess we could kind of talk a little bit. I'm not too well-versed on the Omarion versus Fizz situation, other than the fact that Omarion just seems to be staying as cool as a cucumber and not really letting anybody get to his head. God damn, bro. This fucking Ohio State turned that game around quick. Shit, last time I saw Cole Anthony hit two threes back-to-back. Now it's 64-48. to Jesus. Wow. All right, Ohio State, number six, uh, at number six for a reason. Jeez, another three right there. Bucket. Whew, damn it. Yeah, they whooping ass. Come on, North Carolina. Shit. <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, so Lil Fizz has uh, been going back and forth with Omarion, and for the most part, I've just been kind of laughing at how very, very chill and stable Omarion has been and has not really let it get under his uh, his, uh, his skin at all, what's going on with Fizz and his, uh, his baby moms. Um, but uh, now we see why. Um, the ultimate petty is not saying anything or saying anything negative about your ex-bandmate and former friend dating and being very open about fucking the mother of your children. Nothing says pettiness and, and revenge like then turning around and right after going on tour with them, planning a new tour without this motherfucker. <laughs> I'm like, yo, that's why that nigga not tripping the whole time. He knew he was plotting this shit. I'm finna go get this bag without you. You're staying home with Shorty. There's a reason I'm not with her. She's probably a pain in the ass anyway. She bad. Ooh, she bad. But that's, 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 yeah, it's a lot of times some of the baddest ones be the ones with the most fucking irritating personalities. So that could be why he's not with her ass no more, despite the fact she's the mother of his kids. So shit, he's like, you know what? You have fun. Y'all have fun. Take my ass on tour. You and the rest of them B2K niggas can stay your ass at home because I'm the one that really brings the motherfuckers out anyway. So I'm going to take my ass on tour with Bow Wow and fucking uh, Sammy and, and all the other niggas that were popular. Excuse me, around the same time. And uh, yeah, we're going to go get to this bag without you. So you and April have fun and uh, suck my dick. So yeah, I thought that was pretty fucking hilarious that uh, that Obari had went. Uh, that's why he was being so chill is just he had the, the pettiest comeback. Nigga, I'm going to go tour without your dumb ass. And uh, you enjoy that love and hip-hop money because there will be no more bags with me on tour. And ain't nobody going to go see B2K without Omarion. They'll go see B2K without all them other niggas. They can go see B2K without Fizz probably. And niggas would still line the fuck up because Omarion's the draw. But Omarion don't need them niggas. Omarion got, what, two, three albums of solo music? He Gucci. So you have fun. Enjoy my leftovers, and uh, me and Bow Wow gonna go tour again like it's 2003. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny uh, that uh, he got back in that petty manner. Um, and then the last probably like hot topic really I want to touch on before I get into uh, sports is um, is uh, the comments that Goldlink made about Mac Miller on his Instagram page. Uh, I read I read that uh, that um read that caption. 
and, uh, and I've heard other people's inputs about it. I've heard other people talk about it on podcasts. And it's just, it's just really interesting. It's really interesting to hear all the different takes. Um, I can understand. Um, I can understand how the different perceptions and interpretations could have been taken. Um, I'm not going to read the whole, the whole of what Goldlink said. Uh, but what I will say is kind of the gist of it. Uh, essentially, what Goldlink is uh, is doing is he's posted a picture of Mac Miller and uh, a couple different pictures of him and Mac, uh, you know, before Goldlink became kind of um, wildly successful. And uh, it's kind of like a letter, an open letter to Mac Miller because the caption's even addressed to him. It says Mac Miller. And uh, the first line, just right out the gate, is kind of troublesome. Uh, he said, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't surprised. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'd be lying if I said I was surprised to hear that you died on us. Not because you were necessarily troubled, but because you were special, and because of that, you were troubled. Okay. Goes on to say some, you know, really flattering things about um, the caliber of Mac's talent and the fact that, you know, Mac kind of believed in him early on, um, but then kind of goes on even further to sort of an underhanded way say that Mac Miller kind of copied his style. He talks about releasing his first project under Selection and what the sound of that project was and how the lead single had an Anderson Pack feature on it. And then turns right around and says that, you know, Mac's project, The Divine Feminine, which was probably the project that most people will say kind of revitalized Mac's career. Um, the album I believe he put out before that was the uh, Watching Movies with the Sound Off album, and it was it was an interesting album. But it's it, it's not something that everybody heralded the way they did like Blue Slide or, uh, or Kids. Um, but when Divine Feminine came out, a lot of people, I remember being like, yo, he's, you know, he's back type shit. Uh, so really, really interesting. <clears throat> uh, really, really interesting to hear, um, you know, coldly kind of air, I don't want to say grievances, but air these concerns or these thoughts or these emotions on, uh, on Instagram. Um, you know, it kind of brings up the idea of, you know, hearing him defend himself afterward, talk about, um, you know, his relationship with Mac being his and, you know, people, and that's true, you know, nobody ever you know, is going to know what that consists of better than he or Mac, uh, you know, RIP Mac Miller. But um, it kind of brings to the idea and brings to the surface that a concept I think I've brought up before, but definitely talk about constantly with friends is just the idea that what you're responsible for is not necessarily just your words because you are responsible for those, but you are, are also responsible for how those words are perceived. You are 1,000% responsible for how what you say, how people take it. So you may have meant one thing, but hey, the old, as the old adage goes, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So you might have intended one thing, but your intentions don't provide nobody no solace. doesn't mean shit to anybody after they've already formulated their opinion or after you know whatever you said or did has already affected them. It's done. You know, you can't go back and change that feeling, that emotion, that that, that, you know, uh, reaction, you can't go back and do anything about it. It's, it's done. And so you are responsible not only for what you say, but you're responsible for how people perceive it. If it's perceived incorrectly, then you didn't communicate that shit well, and that's on you to fix it. So it's, it's, it's really, really interesting to read the comment and it's still up. He hasn't taken it down. So it's, it's, to me, that's almost doubling down on what you said. He hasn't removed the post despite the backlash. You can go read what he said and how it's worded, but, um, 
and it kind of reads like somebody, I don't know if anybody ever has, but I have, has had somebody that they love or care about pass away, and they, they, they weren't on good terms with them when they passed away, and they never got to fix it or mend it or talk about it or air it out um, before they, uh, the, the, you know, they lost their loved one. And that, that's kind of how it reads to me, is like somebody who might have been a bit spiteful and been a bit angry and never got to actually all the way hash it out and get over it with their friend, and then their friend died. And, um, you know, it, it's kind of gross, in all honesty, to read, because it, it, it there's no way for it to not kind of sound like hate. It sounds it sounds like hate, period. There's no way around it. But um, to me, it does definitely read like the, the hate or the malice or the uh, jealousy of somebody, you know, who feels like, you know, they were copied and then the person that they were mad at for copying them then dies and like attains this legendary status because they are now passed away and because they died so young. So it's, it's, it's really interesting. Um, yeah, if, if you haven't read it, go check it out. It's something that, uh, he, like I said, he left up there. So maybe I'm interpreting it one way. Maybe you interpret it a different way. You know, when I post this, like I said, I like to be really interactive, you know, Leave some comments on the Instagram page at Creative Ass Adults, C R E eight eight T I V E Ass Adults underscore on Instagram, and uh, and tell me how you feel. Maybe you don't think it was that way. Maybe you've been through a similar situation. Somebody's passed away, and and you didn't get to you know say your goodbyes or hash out things the way you wanted to, and and you know you understand entirely where he's coming from. Maybe you know you you read something totally different into it. So uh, you know leave those in the comments whenever we post this on Thursday and. And tell me how you feel, but uh, that's that's what I took from it. Is it just seemed like somebody who was hurting and jealous, and uh, and never got to air those grievances out with their friend before their friend, you know, left this physical realm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Something just caught my eye, caught my ear, and thought it was a really interesting uh, topic of conversation. So yeah, Gold Link's comments on uh, on Mac Miller. Uh, but yeah, getting into now sports. Um, the first topic I wanted to ease into sports with, or not so much ease into, but talk about sports with is about sports figure, but it's not necessarily about sports. So over the, uh, the Thanksgiving holidays, uh, Dwayne Wade and uh, his lovely family, I love following them on Instagram, black excellence. Um, but a huge Dwayne Wade fan, of course, basketball, you know, champion, the flash, arguably one of the best, if not the best shooting guard to ever play the game. You can do that all day, but, uh, but yeah, I follow Dwayne Wade and then Gabrielle Union's his wife, beautiful actress, in a bunch of classic movies from from, from my uh, from my childhood and from my uh, my adolescence, like Bring It On, of course, and, and you know Ten Things I Hate About You, um, but uh, they have a very beautiful family. They have you know their very cute daughter Kavia, and they have uh, Zaire who's killing it you know in high school with Bronny now, and um, and then they have a son uh, who also they are very supportive of and have always been very supportive of. Um, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if the kid's gay. I'm not sure if the kid's officially come out. He seems pretty young, but, um, but he's very effeminate and they're very supportive and I love it. It's beautiful to me, uh, to see black families supporting, um, you know, their kids, uh, and their sexuality because it's just not a narrative that you get enough in black and brown households. Um, so to see a household that's lauded and applauded and, 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 you know, heralded and put up on a, a platform the way that the, um, the, um, the way that the, the Wade family is and see them support their son like that is just so beautiful to me. And I love it so much. And then over uh, the Thanksgiving holidays, I saw where Dwayne Wade posted, um, you know, I saw a lot of hate over the Christmas or over the Thanksgiving holidays about my family photo that I posted. And um, 
me read specifically what he said because it was it was really dope. I really enjoyed what he said, and I don't want to get it wrong. All right, so Dwayne tweeted, "I've seen some post Thanksgiving hate on social about my family photo. Stupidity is a part of this world we live in, so I get it. But here's the thing: I've been chosen to lead my family, not y'all. So we will continue to be us and support each other with pride, love, and a smile. Peace." So the picture is Dwayne, Kavia. He's holding Kavia. She's so cute. <laughs> um, I don't know the young man's name, but his son has is leaning on his dad's uh, shoulder. And then leaning on his son's shoulder is Gabrielle Union. And um, they posted a family photo. And I've seen a lot of the backlash. Uh, the kids got on. I mean, he doesn't have anything crazy. And honestly, dude looks pretty fashionable. And... Uh, I love the inter- uninterrupted posted it, which is, of course, the company owned by um, LeBron James. And it says, Hall of Fame guard, Hall of Fame dad. And it's just, it, the kid's not even wearing anything super crazy. Crazy One, it looks like this kid is maybe like 10, and this thing got a six-pack. <laughs> so he's, he's, kid, kid is taken care of, which is all that matters at the end of the day anyway, right? Is that the kid's healthy. So this kid looks like he's about 10 years old, and I'm looking at his chest. It looks like he works out with his dad and his mom. Like, it's a healthy healthy black household over there. Uh, but he's got those, like, black jeans. I can't even tell if it's a crop top. In all honesty, because of the way he's leaning on his dad's shoulder, it looks like the, sh- the shirt might just, like, stop right at his waistline. But because of the way he's leaning on his dad's shoulder, like the front of it kind of slid up a little bit. But even if it is a crop top, whatever. Yeah, he's got like this long sleeve kind of crop top, some black jeans. But the thing that really drove people fucking crazy is dude's nails are done. He's got like short white French tip nails on. Now they're nails. So he's got on obvious like like acrylics, like nails. But, uh, but they're not long. They're not crazy. And if they were, who gives a shit? Like the kid looks fucking happy. That's the point. This looks like a happy family. If you look at this picture and you see anything other than a happy family and this cute little baby girl that this guy is holding and this beautiful woman, like the first time I saw it, I didn't even see the kid's nails. All I saw was the crop top and I was like, oh, well, really what I saw, like I said, is this fucking, am I tripping or does this 10 year old have a fucking six pack? Like that's all I saw was how muscular this kid was. Like, and then maybe that's just because he's standing next to his dad and his dad's an athlete and Gabrielle Union and everybody knows like how serious she is about fitness and she played sports coming up through a high school and college and is you know a huge sports fan is at all of fucking Zaire and Ronnie's games and you know so maybe that's why I just went straight to this kid's got a six pack this whole fucking family is in shape as shit Jesus like maybe that's what I went to I didn't even notice the kid's fucking nails until after all the backlash and then I zoomed in and saw that oh this kid's got French tip nails it's like it's, it's not that big a deal what is wrong with you people who did not kiss or hug you or love you enough to allow you to know that it is okay for this family to completely and totally support their kid why do you want a family to hate their child he's gonna be who he gonna be period it's 2019 and some of you motherfuckers still don't get that nigga there was nothing anybody could have done when I was a kid to change the fact that I'm gay right now nothing that's just who I am it's the same thing with this kid there's nothing you can do it's not he's too young to have nails it's not he's too young to have a crop top on he is who he is he's gonna dress like that or express himself how he wants to because of who he is for the rest of his life that's never gonna fucking change and there's nothing that these people can do to change that and thank god they don't want to 
They love their kid and they support their kid. They went to pride with their kid. They clearly are just taking a family photo here because we're a family and we want to show that we support our kid. And even since that photo has come out and all the backlash, not only did um, they post that photo and uninterrupted and everybody from fucking Candace Parker to LeBron James has come on and said, hey, you know, this is family and DeAndre Hopkins is in this. Everybody is just like, yo, these, these huge black celebrities are showing their support and I love it because why would you want them to not love their child to the max? Why would you not want them to support their child to the max? There should be no half-stepping when it comes to that. So I just don't understand it. So turn around, Zaire doubles down and right after that, he posts a picture of him and his little brother. His little brother is leaning on his shoulder and he's in, and they're sitting on, like, Zaire's sitting on, like, this throne, and his little brother's leaning on his shoulder, and, it, and his caption says, we didn't ask for y'all opinion, and I love that shit, bro, because he wasn't in the family photo from Thanksgiving, who knows why, I think, um, if that was at their home, I believe the Wades still live in Miami, and Zaire plays basketball in LA, uh, and, and he goes to school with, um, with Bronny, and they live in LA, so, you know, maybe he just on a regular basis doesn't live there because a lot of athletes at his level, when you're, you know, you're on that path to where you're going to the NBA, like when you're at that level, you know, you got to do what you got to do to, to get to where you need to get to. And that's the path that they're taking. They want those kids to play together because eventually those kids are probably going to wind up playing together in the NBA. Um, so, you know, he wasn't in that photo probably because he just, he doesn't live there. Um, the younger siblings live with the, their parents. And, uh, yeah, so I love the fact that he doubled down and posted a picture that looks like it's not a new picture, it's an older picture, and the kid's still dressed, you know, like him. He's not, doesn't have a crop top on, doesn't have nails in this photo, but he definitely has on what I believe are pink jeans. <laughs> and, you know, he, the kid is fashionable, period, actually. Looking at these two outfits that he's had on, the kid's just swaggy, and he's got his own style. And so he's got this picture posted, and he say, yo, we didn't ask for your fucking opinion. And I love that shit. Like, not only did my parents double down, but now I'm doubling down too. Fuck y'all talking about, bro. This is my brother. I love him as he is, as I should. And worry about your own fucking family. Go hug and kiss your own kid who you're probably ignoring while you're talking shit about somebody else's family who lives with their very successful parents and gets all the love and support that's probably going to allow them to be just as fucking successful. So I just want to get that off my chest. I mean, I'm just like, yo, not just people, but when the fuck is all the hating ass comments I saw were from black people? When are our people going to learn that that shit is a fucking moot point? People are going to love who they want to love, period. If y'all don't get off that shit, <laughs> y'all are going to wind up losing years and years of connectivity with your family members who are homosexual or who are, um, you know, on a, a different end of the spectrum of being of being straight because, you know, times are changing. Sexuality is becoming more and more fluid. People are becoming more and more honest and open about that shit. And it's only going to get to a point where these young people are just not trying to hear what the fuck y'all are talking about anymore because they're on such an elevated level of thinking in comparison to y'all old asses. Let that shit go, bro. Let that shit go. And for the older people, stop teaching that hate to these younger people because that's they're not trying to be a part of it. This new generation is trying to move on and be more enlightened, and that that's the way we should be going. We should be moving towards enlightenment. Stop teaching hate to your kids and trying to keep them held back with you. No, let them elevate past you because it's getting fucking ridiculous, especially within the black and brown community. 
That shit is getting crazy. Stop being scared of what you don't understand. We face enough of that on our own. We know how that feels. We know what it feels like to be misunderstood because people just don't want to take the time to understand you. Stop doing that shit with people within our own community. Stop doing that shit to other people because we know how it feels. That shit's fucking ridiculous. So, yeah. Shout out to motherfucking the Wades. She's beautiful. Whew. I need that off my chest. <laughs> so, in other parts of sports, um, <laughs> let's see. Do I want to talk about my Cowboys and their disappointing season and the fact that Jason Garrett needs to be fired? Oh, nope, that's all I want to say. <laughs> um, yeah, that's all I want to say. Jason Garrett, man, the uh, the nepotism has run its course. I get you are married into the family of Jerry Jones, but yo, we have way too much talent on that team to have lost not only this season, but in seasons prior. It's It's... It's just getting crazy, man. And at this point, if it was anybody else, they would have lost their job. So it's it's nepotism, point blank, period. And at this point, we we have really, really, we have really got to get rid of him. I'm sorry. I mean, I don't think he's a bad coach, but I just think his course with our team has has run its course. And it could be because I don't know. Maybe there's not enough motivation. There's not a fire under his ass because he knows his job is not going anywhere. But it it yeah, it's, it's he's got to go. He's got to go. I'm sorry. Uh, he's got to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not even really watching the NFL, but I do still keep up with the scores. I have watched a couple games this season um, just because I was happy to see that they gave Cap a, a, a tryout. Um, so I was like, fuck it, I'll watch a couple games. But, yeah, after what I've seen, I ain't missing nothing. I'm a Cowboys fan, and they're playing under their potential right now, and nothing about that is fun for me to watch. And I'm still so put off by the NFL and the game in, in general right now that – I don't have a lust to watch just football in general. So, um, so yeah, watching my team lose when they should be winning and then also on top of watching watching my team lose when they should be winning, also just not really fucking with football right now still anyway. It's a, it's a, it's a double whammy, so yeah. Um, hmm. Uh, also, <sighs> I don't ever like having this team's name in my mouth because I don't fuck with them. Um, but, uh, say man, I'm getting a little bit tired of all of the constant raving about the Lakers and I haven't really seen them beat anybody. I've seen them. I went over their, their, um, I went over their record and went over their, um, schedule. And from what I have seen, the Lakers have not played anybody this season worth discussing with the exception of, we'll go back to October. Now, the first real game of the season was October 22nd. That was actually the opening game. That was against the Clippers. They lost by 10 points to the Clippers. The Clippers did not yet have Paul George. They then turned around into a close game, beat the Jazz. The Jazz are incorporating about four new players. They beat the Hornets by 20. The Hornets are trash. They beat the Grizzlies by 30. The Grizzlies are trash. They beat the Mavericks in overtime. By nine, Luka Doncic was boogieing on LeBron James. Like, oh my God, to the point where even LeBron at the end of that game said, that's a bad motherfucker. They beat the Spurs, who I think are currently on, should be like a 12-game losing streak, but that bullshit, yo, the referees in that game, (laughs) the referees in that game yesterday with the Spurs and the fucking uh, Houston Rockets, I'm not even finna get into how disappointing it was watching that game. How 
just weird it was to watch that game with all the buffoon calls, and then it turns into a fucking double overtime. Lonnie Walker went off. I have been heralding that kid since he was at the University of Miami, and that's really why the Spurs won that game, is because he went the fuck off. And, um, yeah. Either way, back to the, the Lakers. The Lakers beat the Spurs. The Spurs uh, should be on a 12-game losing streak, but they are nowhere near 500. Uh, they beat the Bulls, another team not near 500. They beat the Heat. I think the Heat might be close to 500. Lost to the Raptors by double digits. The Raptors are above 500. Beat the Suns. The Suns might be right at 500. I'm just looking at who they've played. Close game with the Kings. The Kings, I believe, might be barely close to 500 because they've played a lot of really good games, but they're young, and they've lost a lot of games just because they don't know how to close teams out. Uh, they beat the Hawks. The Hawks have like a 5-16 and 16 record right now, so also not a team above 500. Uh, struggled in two back-to-back games against the Thunder, uh, where they won 112-107, and then won 130-127. Again, I'm not sure if the... I don't think the Thunder are above 500 either. Um, they just had a really, really easy front half of the season as far as what I've seen so far. And uh, they're just now starting to get to a point where they're playing uh, tougher components, uh, tougher opponents with stiffer competition, rather, excuse me. And um, that Nuggets game was really good. The, the Nuggets game got away from them because, yo, somebody needs to put uh, uh, Nikola Jokic on a treadmill, bro. My guy is looking like me right now, and I am not in the NBA. Like, that nigga's looking real soft in every in a lot of spots. And uh, that doesn't make any sense for somebody who's a professional athlete and somebody who is capable of playing at the level that he played at last year. So um, they need to figure out a way to get um, Nikola Jokic, to get Joker back in shape, get him back being the center focus of their um, their offense because there's no way the Nuggets are going to be able to get to where they got to last year on almost being one game, one C.J. McCollum 40-something point game that he dropped with one three-pointer. They're, they're, they were one game away from making the NBA, the uh, the Western Conference Finals um, and then you know possibly going to the NBA Finals if um, um, C.J. McCollum doesn't have that crazy game and drop 40 uh, on mid-range jumpers and fucking layups. That you know they don't win, and the Nuggets you know go see the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals last year, and I think they would have had a better chance of beating him than than um, than Portland. So you know they got to find a way to get him back to being the focal point of their of their team. But either way, <clears throat> the Lakers just to me haven't really played played any of the really good teams. I'm looking at who they're even playing now. They got the Trailblazers coming up. Trailblazers are eight and thirteen. Uh, the Timberwolves will be one of the first teams that they've played in a while. That is right at. They are literally Timberwolves are right at five hundred. They're ten and ten. Uh, the Heat is fifteen and six. That's who they play next. Under uh, under five hundred, well under five hundred. The Magic are close to five hundred at ten and eleven. They play them next. Hawks must have lost again because they're actually five and seventeen now. They're about to play the Pacers. The Pacers are actually fourteen and seven, which is kind of shocking. But I don't think the Pacers have played anybody. And then the matchup I'm looking for. It's on TNT. It's this uh, Thursday, uh, December nineteenth. That is the first time I will. I feel like they will be playing a team that is uh, finally up to their caliber, and that's the Bucks. And I think they're gonna lose that game. I think they're gonna lose that game because that is a team that is not only been playing together longer than them, but is equally talented offensively. And that team plays team defense, 
and the uh, that's that's the one thing that I see the Lakers having um, trouble with, the teams that they have trouble with, are teams that play really solid team defense. Teams that know how to rotate, communicate, they can collapse down on Anthony Davis and uh, kind of limit his numbers, and then people that can really, really make uh, LeBron James work and make LeBron James, uh, you know, stick to assisting and playmaking only, not allow him to not only, you know, assist, but have, you know, a 27-point game along with 12 assists. So that's the game I'm really looking forward to because I think they're uh, the Bucks team defense. I think the Bucks are still really good. The Bucks are um, tied for first in the league right now with the Lakers. And to me, they just have uh, a team chemistry um, because of how long they've been playing together. Um, they've incorporated some new pieces, but for the most part, overall, they are you know, you know pretty pretty well aware of everybody's strong suits, their positions, their roles. And I think overall that's um, that's um, really important when it comes to what ultimately is the NBA's um, finals, which are their playoffs are seven-game series. So I think that, you know, that's going to really benefit them uh, in the long run is the fact that they just know each other a little bit better. I think that's going to be the best matchup for the Lakers. Um, you know, I think that they, they have the harder part of their schedule ahead of them. I want to see them play the Bucks. I want to see them play the Clippers again because now the Clippers have both Kawhi and Paul George. I don't think they'll be doing that load management bullshit with Kawhi when they finally face the Lakers again. Um, they'll get to play the Nuggets again. That was a good game until it kind of got away in the last say maybe three or four minutes um, where um, you know they just <laughs> Nuggets couldn't buy a bucket for a second. Uh, but I still haven't seen the Lakers play the Celtics. Uh, I haven't seen them play the Nets outside of preseason, and they lost uh, to the Nets. I haven't seen them play uh, the Rockets yet. I know they played them for the first time in January. Like, it's just uh, looking at their schedule, it looks like the harder part of their schedule is ahead of them. And so I'm wanting to see, especially with, um, you know, how we see kind of LeBron take off <laughs> until it gets closer to uh, to playoff time. I want to see if they maintain that this uh, this hot start that they've gotten. And, uh, and I really want to see if it kind of holds through the test of time. Because, um, you, know, you know, good basketball is good basketball. And uh, I've been seeing them play it, especially since they've gotten Rondo back. But just there, there's just a lot of holes. Um, I don't, I don't, yeah, a lot of teams that they had to beat. Like some of these games, just like really, like LeBron had to drop 30 and Anthony Davis had to drop 40 for them to beat the Pelicans. The Pelicans are good, but the Pelicans ain't that good. For them to have for them to have to do that to beat them, and I think they bought, beat them by, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, that was in November. Let me see. They beat the Pelicans by four. Yeah, they beat the Pelicans by four. LeBron had thirty, AD had forty one, and he had he shot fifteen of thirty. So he shot 50% for 41 points. LeBron shot 10 for 18 for 29 points. So it's like, come on, my nigga. <laughs> like, that's not going to happen every day. And in all honesty, it shouldn't have happened. Uh, it shouldn't have had to happen for you to beat the Pelicans, bro. Especially when I look at the, the, yeah, it's just nobody for the Pelicans specifically went off that night. And just, I think in this league right now, it's still... Even with like kind of the decimation of the Warriors, it's still a league where you need more than two uh, stars to win a championship, to, to to have a good series or have a good season even, definitely. But to win a championship, I don't know, man. I don't know if two stars is going to do it, especially I don't know if two stars is going to do it 
with a team that has like disjointed and very segmented offense. I mean defense. Like it's just they they don't play defense to me in a way that that makes me think that they're going to be able to win a seven game series against a team like the Bucks or um, you know against a team like. Uh, shit, even against a team like Philly. Philly's defense looks really good this year. But um, but yeah, enough enough Laker hate. Enough Laker hate. That is, in fact, what I'm doing and, and, and owning it. <laughs> enough Laker hate. Um, the last topic I'm going to touch on for sports uh, is one more football topic. Uh, Lamar Jackson is on a tear right now. I'm uh, That's another thing that I've, I've just been keeping my eye on with football and, uh, and tuning in the highlights and things of that nature is just because there's no way not to pay attention to and just applaud the season that Lamar Jackson is having. You know, after everybody wrote you off and said, you know, this guy needs to be a receiver or a running back or just, you know, what what they love to do with black quarterbacks is reposition them and say, you know, he's not cerebral enough, his arm's not accurate enough, blah, 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 what the fuck ever, right? And this kid comes back and, you know, and, and just proves them all wrong. And right now the top-performing quarterbacks are all black quarterbacks. It's Lamar Jackson, it's Deshaun Watson, it's Dak Prescott, and it's Russell Wilson, and all the t- and uh, Patrick Mahomes are the uh, the the um, the uh, highest-performing quarterbacks this year. The uh, you know highest in every category, essentially from the article I read in ESPN. Um, uh, I think it was an um, undefeated article though, but it was on ESPN.com about black quarterbacks. Uh, if you have time, check that out. But essentially where they were just talking about how all the best quarterbacks in the league right now are black when it used to be kind of taboo to have a black quarterback because it was thought that, you know, they're just going to be really athletic, but they're not going to have, like, the headspace or the IQ for the game uh, or for the position, rather. And um, and that's kind of – they were trying to kind of compare, you know, Lamar to Michael Vick that, you know, he's just never going to have this really accurate arm and he doesn't have the bomb of an arm because, you know, Mike used to be able to throw that bitch the entire length of the football field. You know, he's not going to have the bomb of <clears throat> of Michael Vick, and he doesn't have the accuracy of, you know, Russell Wilson. Um, and then he comes back, and he's got both. You know, he's got the bomb, he's got the accuracy, he can still run, he's still crazy athletic, and then he's, you know, telling you exactly what he's reading, what he's doing in these uh, press conferences, so you see he's got the, the, the IQ for it as well. And I just love the way he's shitting on everybody, you know, he's the definition of keeping that same energy and just shitting on everybody who uh, who doubted him and using it as motivation and his team is reaping the benefits. And I ain't no Baltimore Ravens fan, but I have a homie who is, and I know she's probably loving that shit. So it's really interesting to see them go from, you know, getting knocked out in the first round of the playoffs and, you know, all this hate that they kind of had for him um, to, to now him looking like the obvious uh, MVP candidate and looking like, you know, they could possibly take the Super Bowl this year. So, um, yeah, really, really excited for Lamar Jackson and uh, really, really, uh, really, really hype to see his season unfold and what all uh, lies ahead with, you know, just a few more weeks left in football. Um, but, you know, the, the, the story I heard about, um, unfortunately, wasn't just some some more praise going towards him. Um, so there's a writer, uh, Tim, or radio analyst, actually, um, Tim Ryan. Uh, he's an analyst for the 49ers in San Francisco. Um, you know, Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens just recently played the 49ers and like most of the games that Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens has played, have played this season, they won and pretty handily. And, um, Tim Ryan made some comments on the radio, essentially stating that, you know, uh, they were doing a lot of pass, I mean, I'm sorry, a lot of, um, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of, uh, runs and a lot of, uh, runs off, uh, you know, kind of reading the defense is what, the uh, the Baltimore Ravens, um, you know, whole offense is kind of play on. It's just Lamar Jackson kind of reads the defense and and makes the play. 
and they, that's what they did, and they killed San Francisco with that, and he had like a crazy game, um, you know, a wild amount of yards. On, you know, this 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 analyst, uh, Tim Ryan, makes a statement over the radio where he says essentially, uh, well, you know, it's hard for um, you know players to see the ball. You know, the ball's so dark, his skin's so dark, and their jerseys are so dark, you kind of can't see what he's doing with the ball when he's doing these play reads. This, this motherfucker said that on on air like a nationally syndicated show. He made a comment about Lamar Jackson's skin being too dark to be able to tell where the football is, and that's why he's able to make these great reads. And it's just, it's it's baffling to me. It's baffling to me that, you know, somebody can say some shit like that, uh, and you can, you know, see the things that go on <laughs> in, in our world today. And, and see the racism that is still so obviously displayed today. And you can turn right around and, you know, discredit and say, you know, there's absolutely no way that, that you know, that that, that that quarterback, you know, called Miles Randolph a nigger. You don't know what the fuck that quarterback said to Miles Randolph. Because, I mean Miles Randolph, excuse me, that um, Randolph said to Miles Garrett. You don't know what the fuck that quarterback said to Miles Garrett. You have no clue. Because... We know that the NFL is still very much a good old boy sport. We see that. We see with how they handled the cap situation and kneeling. We see what they turned that into instead of acknowledging that it was about police brutality and equality. We see what the fuck was going on. We see what the fuck they're about. So I don't know why anybody would possibly question the idea that mild-mannered Miles Garrett snapped because maybe this quarterback said some fucking crazy shit to him and he acted outside of his character. I mean, I don't know why that's hard to believe, especially when you have analysts who will get on the fucking air live and say some crazy shit about the obvious candidate and the more than likely the person, the player who is going to win MVP and talk about their dark skin and say, oh, oh yeah, that, that, that's why they can't see the football. That, that's why he's able to, able to make all these reads and, and run the football for so, so, so many yards. His skin's too dark, so they can't see the football. I mean, yo. You can only say so many times it's 2019 before it gets repetitive, or it's 2018, or it's 2020, because I'm sure somebody will say some dumbass shit next year too. But you can only say it so many times before it starts to lose its ring. But it's 2019, people. This shit's still going on. Don't be surprised. Don't sleep. Stay woke. And believe people when they tell you this shit. Because if there's motherfuckers who are still out here talking about the obvious MVP candidate of the league who is having a breakout season, nobody has anything bad to say about him. No teammate has anything bad to say about him. He just seems like a good kid who plays great football. And instead of you being on the necessary bandwagon of just giving that man his flowers, you make a stupid racist joke and then turn around and say, oh, I have the greatest respect for him. I didn't mean it like that. I hope I didn't offend anybody. The typical bullshit. He's been suspended for one game. He'll be right back in his job. And people will act like this never happened and he's not going to get in any trouble. But, God forbid, his cleats didn't match his uniform, he'd get fined. 
you know, God forbid Lamar Jackson's cleats didn't match his uniform on some Odell Beckham shit, he'd get fined. Yo, that fucking sport is so damn ass backwards that I don't even understand why people fuck with it anymore. But, you know, shout out to Lamar Jackson. Hope you win MVP, dude. You had an amazing season, a season so great that if you do win MVP, and even if you don't, I'll probably wind up writing something about it just because you've inspired me greatly. Shout out to Lamar Jackson in the season that they're having. Since my team's playing like shit right now and can't get their shit together, I'm going for Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson for MVP. Shit. <laughs> so that concludes sports today. And fuck Tim Ryan. I hope they suspend you for more than one game, even though they probably won't. <sighs> so that, that concludes sports. Last and finally, again, just bringing up Tia Williams' uh, series premiere for Gentrified. Just an amazing, amazing, amazing event. I had a great time. And it really just brought to my mind um, in talking with some of the creatives there, um, specifically, you know, my homie Moyo. Uh, Moyo and I have known each other since no, middle school for sure, but I want to say maybe even elementary school. I can't remember if he went to River Oaks. Um, but we've definitely known each other for sure since middle school. And, uh, um, yeah, we've definitely known each other for sure since uh, since Westview Middle School. And in talking with him and some other people just, you know, after the event about curating black spaces in Austin, I just want to say this. Stay stay diligent. Um, I know it can be disappointing to not see the type of event that Tia gave us on a more regular basis, but just stay diligent. Try to create those spaces. Try to sew up and support those spaces when you see other people curating them, because that's the only way they're going to happen. Um, you know, right now I know for a fact that there are certain bars in Austin that won't play hip hop, and I know for a fact that there are bars in Austin that will play hip hop, but won't let anybody in who looks like they listen to hip hop. So Austin is definitely curating their good time for a specific crowd. So if and when you see events that are curated for us and by us, go support that shit. I was standing at that event and hearing people around me complain about how much the tickets were, complain about, you know, all types of shit. And I'm like, say, man, we don't have this. We don't get this a lot. It's not something that we get to see in Austin. So, hey, man, I'm just happy to be here. I'm performing, so I didn't have to buy a ticket, so I understand but if I was not performing, I had every intention of going to that event because it was curated by brown people. It was about something that is close and near and dear to the heart of brown people in Austin. And so I wanted to, I wanted to do, if, if it's me performing or me showing up and buying a ticket, I wanted to do everything I could to help make that event a success because we don't get those spaces. So don't get irritated or lose your patience because I've, I'm born and raised here and I've seen it wax and I've seen it wane. And, and you just got to stay diligent, you got to stay patient, and you got to support the things that you want to exist. Because if we don't support those things, they won't. So shout out to Tia, shout out to everybody that turned up and turned out for that. Um, again, follow her, look out for her series, really excited for her. And um, just, you know, be there and support each other, especially creatives, you know. It's, 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 it's hard, man. It's hard trying to, to put these events together and you get your hopes up for everyone and some are, you know, the best event you could have possibly hoped for and exceed your expectations, and some aren't. And um, and it's hard to continue to put those events on and curate those spaces, um, you know, after each win and loss. It's it's a labor of love, and uh, it it's, it's becomes more and more easy when you see people supporting you. So do that. Support those events uh, that are the ones you want to see because uh, I know for a fact I will continue to because... I want people to do the same for me. 
You can't ask for somebody to support you if you're not willing to show support. Um, so yeah, that is what the note I'm going to sign off on this podcast today, um, today with is support, support something, man, get out there and uh, put your money where your mouth is and, uh, and, uh, and help out the little guy. Cause, uh, without the little guy, you know, we'll, we'll get very homogenized, um, event planning and, um, you know, what you're complaining about, you'll be complicit in. So support and, uh, thanks for listening and supporting this podcast. Uh, again, this is a Creative Ass Adults podcast. That's C-R-E-8-8-T-I-V-E-Ass-Adult uh, on, uh, on Instagram. I'm Zay. Zay is a writer on Instagram. Z-A-I-S-W-R-I-T-E-R underscore. And uh, appreciate you guys for tuning in. Peace.